Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Moments with Maya. Conversations of love and laughter. The show where each week, your host, healthcare administrator and certified humour professional, Maya Aziz, invites someone who is out there pushing the positive to join her for a heartfelt and often hilarious coffee conversation about love, laughter, leadership and, well, life. Love and laughter might not cure what ails you, but they sure go a long way to getting you through those tough life moments. So sit back, pour yourself a cup and get ready to laugh and learn today on Morning Moments. Look for the good. It is all around. It sure is, and good morning. What a good morning indeed. This is Maya coming to you live from Montreal this December 18th, 2016. Now, as my kids are constantly correcting me, it is not officially actually winter yet, but my gosh, did we ever have a lot of snow this week up here in Montreal. And today it is pouring rain, threatening to freeze over and turn our city streets and sidewalks into maybe the largest skating rink known to man. Be careful if you are out there driving, walking, uh, and frankly, why even bother venturing out? It is Sunday. What a perfect day to lounge in your pajamas and pour yourself an extra large cup of coffee, maybe even splash a little eggnog in there, and join me for yet another great conversation. Wow, only two weeks left in this interesting year that we have had. On a personal and societal level, a year of sometimes slightly alarming, but often inspiring changes. And of course, this is the time of year where we find ourselves reconnecting with family and friends, sharing gloriously rich meals and sometimes too many cocktails, but also sharing stories of the year that has just passed. People ask me, Maya, why do you do this show? My first answer, of course, is that I believe so strongly in the value of the topics that we discuss on this show of how therapeutic humor, positive psychology, and heart-based leadership can truly change people's lives and boost their resilience and growth. But I want to share with you something. On a very personal level, the surprise to me in this show and my truest joy through morning moments has been the people that I have met and how every week I get to hear a new person's story, how their experiences shaped them, how it shaped who they are and who they want to be, and ultimately how the stories of their lives have led them to what they then share with the rest of us. It has confirmed for me that everything is connected and that we as humans are all connected. Author Patrick Rothfuss wrote, It's like everyone tells a story about themselves inside their own head, always, all the time. That story makes you what you are. We build ourselves out of that story. Today, I have a very special guest here to tell her story, kind of a story of stories, if you will. Jude Trader Wolf is a writer, performer, psychotherapist, storyteller, and improviser. 
She has been featured in shows all over the New York area and speaks on the topic of transformative storytelling for conferences and events, most recently at the National Association of Social Work 2016 conference in Albany and the 2015 Applied Improvisation World Conference right here in our very own Montreal, which I heard was a great, great conference. Her solo storytelling show, Crazy Town, My First Psychopath, was selected for the 2013 Midtown International Theatre Festival and the 2012 Chicago and San Francisco Fringe Festivals and has been performed at Actors Theatre Workshop and Broadway Comedy Club in New York City, among others. Jude has been published in the International Journal of Arts and Psychotherapy and has been featured in numerous news outlets, including New York Newsday, Chicago Tribune, LA Times, Women's Day, and the New York Daily News. She is a busy woman, clearly, with surely many, many stories to tell, but has found the time to join us this morning, lucky me, for this conversation about the power of storytelling. Jude, welcome to the show. Thank you, Maya. Good morning. Good morning to you. Bright and early, but what a great conversation we are going to have this Sunday morning. Well, I, I uh, appreciated your intro and that beautiful piece that you presented about story and how we're telling stories inside ourselves all the time. That was a wonderful warm-up to our conversation. And true, I think. I mean, I think that, you know, some people sort of ask me, well, what do you mean you're doing a show about storytelling? But they are all around us and inside us all the time. But I, I want to start, Jude, I'm curious, your own, I mean, you have such an interesting background uh, professionally and personally. Where did your interest uh, in storytelling come from? I could tell you this from two very uh, powerful perspectives on my side. One is I started out professionally as a music therapist, and then I branched into doing psychotherapy as a social worker, but I've always been rooted in the creative arts, always, always is how I got my start professionally. And before that, personally, loving music, loving songs, and loving stories, because songs are stories that have been put to music, really. They're boiled down into lyrics that are, have imagery and have a narrative arc, generally. And so my, my interest in stories really started with music and the stories that connect ideas that make you, take you on an emotional journey. And in studying music and then doing music therapy, I found that when people in groups that I was running, say when I worked in psychiatry, where I first started working with very, very mentally ill people, that a song would be a way for that person who could not often put things into words, connect with other people in a group, be heard by them, be seen by them, and have something that is going on within them be shared with other people in a very safe way. From that song that would be shared people would then begin to talk about how they connected to the song and then their own story and their their own um, sort of jumping off place from that uh, song into their own experience would become part of the group culture and my very first experiences professionally were using songs to jump into stories and have people know each other in ways that they couldn't do any in any other format then as a performer, 
I decided that I wanted to tell stories myself, and I found inspiration in people like Balding Gray. If you're familiar with Spalding Gray, he was a, one of the first people to do this form that now has become very popular through The Moth and Risk and other podcasts and storytelling shows throughout the world, where he would tell about his own life and enrich his own life with um, a lot of detail and a lot of comedy. And, he, and really in the 80s and the 90s, he was a big star and really started this format of live storytelling about one's own life. And that ignited me as a performer and as an audience member. And from that, I, I began to do it myself, not in any, I'm not comparing myself to Spalding Gray by any stretch, but I began <laughs> to be inspired by him because he was very, he used to say, I crawl around the stage on all flaws. And oh. he talked about himself as this flawed and struggling person in a way that was, you couldn't, it was riveting. You couldn't take your eyes off of him. And everything about his flaws were our flaws. And this was, for me, an inspirational uh, moment as a performer. I mean, I'm sorry, as an audience member, I said, I get this. I get that this is a form of entertainment that is more than just entertainment. Absolutely. So many interesting points that you're bringing up. And when you're talking about being riveted by somebody telling, whether it is a story or a song that reveals their flaws, um, again, I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier about there's something about how we connect with each other through stories, whether they're musical stories or not. Um, You know, I have to share with you something kind of funny because I'm listening to you and I thought, oh, my God, this is what happened this morning. Um, uh, I am a, I'm a bit of a TV nerd. I admit it. Listeners, you already know that. Now Jude knows that as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the shows that I've always enjoyed, kind of fluffy shows, is Gilmore Girls. And I had seen this new, uh, they did this little revival anyway, so I won't get into the details of that. And there was a song that was performed in this revival called Unbreakable. Um, that is just that. It's sort of a woman revealing the flaws um, and where her life is not at all where she wished it was. And when I first saw that uh, not too long ago, a few weeks ago, I have to, I have to confess, I admit it, just, I was bawling on the couch as I'm watching this because of the connection. And I just listened to it again this morning before we went on the air and it had the same impact. There's something so powerful about hearing someone else tell a story that you can relate to. It's not just entertainment. It's not just performance, right? Exactly. And when you think about what the function of entertainment, just to be a little, I guess, sociological and geeky about it before we get into talking about how great it is, but that, that the function <laughs> of great entertainment, of course, is to transport us and take us somewhere, to take us on some kind of journey. And, and that journey is really going to be, it's going to matter if it's an emotional journey. And sometimes that emotional journey is painful. And what you're describing about this song is someone having the, the grace and the talent and the willingness to be vulnerable to share about a struggle in a way that moves you know, Maya so deeply that you become overwhelmed with emotion, and that release of emotion is, you know, is about Maya's struggles. And when I hear that a song, I remember when I worked um, back in the day 
the song Fire and Rain by James Taylor <laughs> would almost always end up in every group I did, and I'd have to learn these sophisticated <laughs> guitar riffs. I actually took a class so that I could play the guitar a little bit like James Taylor did because I thought, I can't sing that song without some of those guitar riffs, and I did learn them. Um, that's how much I – that's my dedication to my job. And uh, because the song Fire and Rain has these lines in it, I always thought that I would see you again. That has that, that recurring line, I always thought that I'd see you again. And everybody had a different take on that, but everybody connected to it because there's always something we thought we would get to do again or someone we might get to, con- to correct a wrong or, or heal a relationship. And knowing that James Taylor, for example, or the, the writer of Unbreakable, they went through this and they got through this, and they got through it well enough to now create this piece of art about it. And there's something about that that gives us hope. It didn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that they're definitely okay all the time, but they made it through this thing that somehow makes us feel like I'm, I'm, that's me, I'm in that thing, or I have been in that thing, and they lived to tell about it. And so that gives us a kind of hope, and that, I think, is why it's, a, it's more than entertainment. Very very well said. I mean, there's hope in both the fact that you're hearing someone tell the story, so obviously they survived, and also just in knowing, okay, maybe I'm not alone. I mean, I think there's, there's reassurance in that as well, which also boosts hope. So, I mean, I think we can agree that there's this, this power for the listener listening to these stories in terms of feeling connected, in terms of feeling hopeful, in terms of feeling not alone. Where is the power in storytelling or how is it transformative or can it be transformative for the person telling the story? Well, that is an excellent question. And I, I love talking about this uh, because a lot of people that I train or that I speak to on this topic are fans of storytelling and love it and eat it up and listen to podcasts and go to shows, and yet sometimes um, cannot imagine that they themselves might be the person on stage or speaking into a microphone, sharing their own experiences. So, one, the, just think about the idea that if, as, a, as a person who's going through struggles, who has lived through things that one that at the beginning may have thought, I'm not going to make it through this, or I've accomplished something that I did not know I could accomplish, that as that person sitting in an audience, I can't imagine myself ever taking that experience and sharing that with people. That's a kind of courage I don't have. But then actually doing it, that event, the the process of getting there is transformative itself. So um, within that, of course, so, so it's taking our own life and mining our own life for meaning and for moments that are of value to other people. So that alone, when we do, when I do workshops or I work with people one-on-one, sometimes people will come to me because they, they do presentations and they want those presentations to be richer, for example. They're used to giving information and they're safe and, they're, and it's very structured, and are, um, but they, want their, they know that people aren't really uh, as engaged as they might be. Or there are people that are very introverted and terrified to talk about themselves, but 
they're, uh, they need to pitch for work or they need to get their, somehow a message out there about their own business or about their work. Or sometimes it's that you're at your um, mom's 50th birthday party and you'd like to give a really beautiful, um, epic toast or, or, or tribute to someone that's important to you. This kind of storytelling can be transformative in the sense that we take, for the love of that other person or the higher purpose, uh, we take our own um, struggle and shape it into a piece of art. So, for example, I'll just use, uh, I'm going to use someone that I worked with that um, it told a story on stage, so I know it's okay. It's not a client. It's not a therapy client. It's somebody that told a story on stage. In fact, you could probably find the story online. Um, so I know it's okay to share about it. But this is a, a woman who is, you know, she's, she's a wonderful speaker when you see her tell the story, but she doesn't think of herself that way. She thinks of herself as an introvert. She thinks of herself as um, a person who doesn't have a, a lot to, to say, even though she's a powerful person in her own right. And she had an experience where she, she very suddenly and, 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 and dramatically lost her job. She just, the, the funding got cut, and she went from being able to support herself. She's a single person. She relies on herself. She, she's never been married, so she needs to know she has an income, she has a home. And she also had a job that had a great value to her, and it had a great value to the community. And so it was an act of injustice that, that it just got cut in a budget cut by the, the county, and she was suddenly out of a job and was going to be assigned some job that she didn't care about, didn't want, and and um, that she didn't even know if she could do. So it would be the – I've worked with other people that uh, on a similar thing where somebody had gotten fired from a job and discovered through the pain and suffering of being suddenly an independent contractor that he could be a freelancer, but he didn't know that before he, he got fired. Well, she struggled through months of self-doubt and fear and thought, I have to quit. Um, she worked for a, a, an organization that was going to assign her a job somewhere, but she didn't know if she was going to be able to do it, and she didn't think that she would like it. She had absolutely no hope that this was going to work out for her. She, ended, she desperately tried to get that uh, funding revived. The story that she told on stage was about she did not ever get that funding revived. She did end up having to take the gig that they gave her, which was something she did not really want to work in a high school with students that she hadn't done in 20 years. She felt deeply inadequate, and she found that, one, she just had to let go of an agenda that she always had, which is she really likes being in control and she likes what's going to happen <laughs> next. And she ended up having to let go of all of that, and she had all summer to do it. I think the funding got cut in April, and she ended up starting a school year in September in a high school. And day one of going into that high school, she went in with such fear and such dread. She ended up a week later saying, oh, I, I, I like seeing the same people every day, and these kids are pretty nice. And a month later, she said, and then she ended up, when she told the story on stage, she said, I'm finally popular in high school. And she ended up, <laughs> when she started, it's a, and it, so for her, the actual experience was a huge transformation of having to really let go of, letting, of knowing what's going to happen next, 
take the next step moment to moment to moment and really come to grips with, I don't have control over this. I'm going to have to find a way to manage this. Well, she went from fear and dread to loving this job. And it's not a job she ever would have thought to choose. She would have said no. And in a way, I guess the universe sort of took all that away, and she had to walk through this journey of fear and inadequacy. So for her to tell that story on stage, which she did, one, was transformative because by the time she told it, she had this great tagline at the end, which is <laughs> not something I would have ever chosen. I never thought I would have to let go of control in order to learn to have joy every day in my, in my life that I didn't know I could have. So, so to do that, I had to let go of control. But in the end, I'm finally popular in high school, and I got such a big laugh. And everybody related to that story. So for her as a storyteller, she's one of, like, hundreds of people that I've worked with that, that were able to take an experience, did change them, but by framing it into a piece of art. So you have 10 minutes. Sometimes you have more. But in most storytelling shows, you have 10 minutes maybe at the most, maybe 12, to really take people through that emotional journey of all that internal stuff. That transformed the storyteller because she's able to now frame it in this way to say, I know that I can get through something that I didn't know that I could get through, and now I'm going to share it with you. So there are many, many elements that make it transformative for the storyteller. One is that you live to tell, tell it. Two is that you, frame, you have to take certain details and structure them in a way that is compelling to listen to. And that is um, a gift uh, and a, um, a skill set that is valuable in every other area of your life to be able to know what details frame you as a victim of circumstance, which a lot of stories start out like that, like this bad thing happened to me and I, the universe kind of took away all the good things. And we, if, we, if we end as a victim of circumstance, that's not going to be transformative. So the idea that I started feeling like a victim of circumstance, but I ended up feeling changed by my own experience, I ended up being able to share with other people something that has real value for them because maybe they also lost something that they did not want to lose and didn't think they could handle, and maybe they made some big discoveries as a result of it. And that kind of storytelling is transformative for, for the storyteller. And it, you end up with a skill set that says, I could take almost anything, and one, I can get comedy out of it, I can get enlightenment out of it, and I can deliver something to other human beings that may have value for them. And some people have gotten up on stage in my show and in many other shows that are introverts, that are not performers, and they come off that stage and they say, I was scared to death. It, I took everything in my life to get up here and do this, and I feel a thrill that I have never felt in my life. And that alone is transformative. That's pretty powerful stuff. And what a great example. What a brave woman, too, because I'm sure that was not um, easy to go through that. And as I listen to you, Jude, I mean, it really is this process of uh, writing and getting to the point where you can tell your story. Uh, it's a therapeutic process, as you describe it, um, and take someone from what must have been 
you know, very possibly the lowest moment of her, her life to a moment where this becomes just a, a story, a part of the fabric of, of the story of her life. And she is okay. And even able, as you say, to share with others that they too could be okay. I'm curious, Jude, you know, I, I can understand how telling your story uh, can sort of rid yourself of self-doubt. It can get to you a point where you realize you're okay and you can carry on. Can the telling of your story also change your understanding of the story? Absolutely. In fact, there's some wonderful research about this, which fascinates me because I do like to um, be validated, I guess. that It's one thing to have experiences, as a therapist also, to have people rewrite their story, retell their story. Uh, but, but this um, phenomenon of, of live storytelling or, or, or podcasts of storytelling, why it is useful and important for the world is important to me, that um, several things, three main therapeutic elements to storytelling that are actually evidence-based. One is what we just described with the woman who took a set of facts about her life and formed them into a piece of art that was engaging and elevating to a listener and to herself a confidence-boosting a mechanism, right? So there is a reward chemistry of the brain that is ignited when we have success, when we have something like that feels like a win, like you win at a game. Well, getting a group of people to have a wave of laughter, like if you frame an an idea well enough so that the same people grab that thought at the same time and know that it's funny, or cry, but let's talk about humor because that's more fun for the moment, um, and you get that wave of laughter, that ignites the reward chemistry of the brain, the same as if you just won a game or won money or fell in love. All that reward chemistry of the brain is very important for us to keep going in life because life is, mm-hmm. is very hard, and we are much more attuned psychologically, and our neurochemistry um, is much more attuned to looking for threats and feeling afraid so that we can protect ourselves, right? So that reward chemistry of the brain is very important. And and your whole show that's dedicated to positive thinking and to the positivity in life, the reward chemistry of the brain is really what that is inside our own brain, is about about the, the, um, the sense, the actual lived experience in our brain of, that's amazing. And when we have that feeling, we want to try again. We're willing to try again because we earned it. So that's one therapeutic element to storytelling, and um, that, especially if you share it with other people, even if it's just in a small group, but especially if you were to share it to a larger group or, or even a wedding toast can give you that feeling that you made an impact on other people in this way. The framing of the story has two other evidence-based perspectives. One is perspective-taking, which is that having gone through an experience and now I'm going to write it out and choose certain details to include so that I have something to deliver to other people kind of forces me to understand that story in a way that, say, doesn't make me a victim but makes me a player in my own life. And I'll give you a quick example because it's a story that um, I actually have told a lot in professional situations, but I actually recorded um, a a long-form version of it on the Risk podcast last year. 
And it was such a treat because Kevin Allison, who is the host and creator of that podcast, was one of my coaches, and I took many classes with him and really got me going in this professional storytelling world. And so I loved being on his podcast. It was such a treat. But my story in that example was about a time that my car, a 1974 Buick Apollo, that was just always running on fumes, and I was driving all over the New York area. Uh, with uh, My father was a mechanic, and he taught me a lot about auto maintenance, which I took very seriously except for the actual maintenance. And I now, as a young single person in New York City, driving all around with no not enough friends to to count on one hand, trying to make enough money to go back to Australia to get back to my Australian boyfriend. And one day my car dies in the Lincoln Tunnel, halfway between New York and New Jersey, on my way to my third of three jobs because all I do is work because i got to get back to Australia to my Australian boyfriend. And this car died, and I had $7. I had no credit cards and a check that had $150 in my credit card account. And it was in rush hour after it had been raining in New York for three days. My car gets towed to the other side of the Lincoln Tunnel, and many things ensue that are too long to go into now. But why my car died was because I wasn't really living in New York. I was living half my brain was in Australia, and I wasn't where I really needed to be, which was taking care of what was right in front of me. And I did get out of that mess, and I did live to tell, and I didn't get killed at the, at the, on the Jersey side of the Lincoln Tunnel, but anything could have happened to me that night because I had no, I did not build into my life any self-protections. The perspective that I had from telling that story was, one, it was a moment of truth where I had to grow up, and I had to realize that that relationship was over, that I had to live on the East Coast and take care of business or everything was going to break down, including me. And the breakdown of the Lincoln Tunnel, it did not even escape me that it was halfway between states. It was probably halfway between New York and New Jersey, right on the, right on the state line underneath that river where that tunnel mm-hmm. is, that I had to change my state of mind, that my state of mind was I'm always going somewhere back to this guy, and my state of mind had to change to I'm an adult, I'm living in a life now that is harder than I thought it would be, lonelier than I thought it would be, and I can do it. And telling that story is a story about change and about how if you don't change your state of mind, things break down. So that's an example of perspective taking that is an evidence-based result of telling a story about something that you went through and and you can take many different perspectives. I mean, I, I could have told – sometimes I tell it from the perspective of the person that rescued me, which was I am not the hero of that story. Uh, the <laughs> hero of that story is the person that came out in a driving rain and traffic as far as I could see and towed me to my apartment and accepted a check that he had no idea whether there was enough money in my account to cover <laughs> and rescued me. And uh, But I learned many lessons from that story, but um, – the perspective that I've been able to give to other people because of my own perspective that that was the day that I realized I have to change. My life has changed, and I have to change internally. The third evidence-based benefit 
of therapeutic storytelling or the therapeutic nature of storytelling is meaning-making, especially when things that we've gone through are deeply painful and seem to have no no reason for being. Um, a, a colleague of mine um, told a story about losing her daughter. Very soon before her, her daughter was born, she lost this pregnancy, so she lost a child. And such a painful story that she turned into the meaning of nature and how nature heals us. That story is on my, um, her name is Tina Bakehouse. She just sponsored the, our storytelling show in Iowa, which was an amazing experience. And her story is actually on my Vimeo page. I think it's on my YouTube page also. I would encourage anybody, if you go to uh, my Vimeo page at the, um, the credits here, and listen to her story of deep pain. There's no taking away what that was for her and her husband to lose this child but how nature was a healing force, and she still used that. She lives on a farm, and how the healing power of nature is still a healing force for her. So by making meaning out of some experience that is an inconsolable loss, we can recover from that loss. We can then be transformed by it. So those are the three main things, the reward chemistry, perspective-taking, and meaning-making. Thank you for that, um, and, and especially for bringing up this notion of meaning, and I'm definitely going to listen to that story because I think uh, it sounds quite powerful. Um, you know, because there's, when you go through an event, whether it's, you know, your car breaking down and as you're reflecting on your life and where you're going with your life or whether it's something um, so profound as, as losing a child, the narrative is the facts, right? So this happens, uh, you know, you miscarried or whatever. This, but the story is really in the meaning that you give it. But that doesn't happen at that moment. Like I don't think the day that your your car broke down, it, it wasn't in the tunnel necessarily that you pulled together <laughs> all this meaning and your life changed. It wasn't like this revolutionary moment, was it? No, no, no. <laughs> You're so right about that. <laughs> That was the moment where I broke down and thought I'm going to have a breakdown and somebody's going to have to come and just take me somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So so is it fair to say then that as we as we tell these stories or as we were saying before, as these sort of stories, they kind of evolve inside our heads um, and change over time as we understand events. Is that sort of fair to say? That's exactly right. We can know that something was a life-changing moment. It starts with this, and it could be like, for, that, for example, the Lincoln Tunnel experience for me. I told that story to people because it was astonishing that I made it through. It was um, remarkable how the sequence of events actually, I was sort of rescued, you know, by a couple, by one person in particular and how terribly things might have gone that they didn't go. But in telling it over time and then reflecting on what it meant to me and how I did change my life after that night, I began to see this as a a shift in my own personal narrative. So what you're saying is very important, that 
through telling a story, and and it does have to do with raising our own consciousness about it over time, because as a therapist, I can tell you, people tell the same story in the same way over and over and over again and don't learn anything <laughs> from it sometimes. People just don't realize, like, oh, I've got the same boyfriend, and this is the same narrative of that, <laughs> what I always go through, my disappointment, my outrage, my loneliness, you know. But through reflecting and reflecting and retelling and also um, – asking ourselves new questions about that same experience, we can begin to frame it in a way that says, and I began to be able to see that myself say, that day was the day I honestly saw I have a lot of growing up to do. I mean, that was the day I went, I don't, do you have AAA in Canada? I think you do. Yes. Do you have AAA? That, yeah. That was the day I got a AAA card. That was the, the, <laughs> the next day. The next day I applied for a credit card. Like there were lots of things I had never done and I didn't worry about doing because I wasn't acting like a grown up. That that day I changed, and it was also I faced the pain of this loss and the, my loneliness of where I was living, and what my life really was like by not having an illusion that I was going to get out of it. I wasn't going to get rescued out of my own life. I had to live my own life, and I had to grow. But that took time, and it did. It was telling the story over and over again and adding in the, that this idea of reflection, which I guess is another therapeutic element that, that, that brings us to how does this story, this event, fit into the narrative of my life, and how is that story shaping the narrative of my life, and in the end, how do I want to change the narrative of my life? <clears throat> Yeah, and and as you say, it takes time and and it evolves. And for some people, uh, it takes more time or they, as you say, you know, I I was giggling because I've done it as well. And I've certainly seen other people um, kind of tell the same story over and over and it doesn't change. Um, (laughs) Yeah, all in in good time, right? I want to ask you, uh, you know, your story about this breaking down of your vehicle in the tunnel. I'm interested also in this person who came to help you because, you know, something when I've been thinking about storytelling um, and the fact you mentioned yourself that people don't realize that they have stories to tell, but everybody has a story to tell. And yet, I don't know if it's a a factor of our modern world where we're in such a hurry and a rush. I feel like sometimes we don't take the time to consider that other people have stories behind their actions. Uh, you know, I don't know if this person who stopped to help you thought about that in terms of, you know, what's going on with this poor young woman who's, who's trapped in this tunnel. But do, do you get the sense that maybe we need to try a little bit more to listen to each other's stories? Well, I think that is I, it's such a great point. And by the way, I do want to say that the person that, that um, rescued me was a tow truck driver that I ended up calling because everything was closed and no one would come and get me. And he was closed and going home for the night, and he just opened up his shop to help me out, not just because he felt bad for me and because I was – and also, I will say, copious weeping on my end of the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm coping, copious weeping and begging for my life, and he took pity on me. And uh, and I always wonder, and I've told this story a lot to um, professional groups, and I say, who do you identify with in this story, for example? The car that's been neglected and therefore breaks down, the driver of the car who's just oblivious and is not focused, or the person that went out of their way, took a risk, 
to help somebody who may or may not have been worth their time and and was the rescuer. And so many times therapists, there have been people that said, yes, I was really angry with you in that story. I was, I've been that guy <laughs> that went out of their way and really helped somebody out, but then they feel validated by the story because I make that guy the hero, and he really is. He, I never even, I don't remember his name or anything about it, but he was really the hero of that story. But as you say, um, we don't know what's going on with other people. We don't know what, why people sometimes behave the way they do. And listening to stories, this is one of the reasons I think that live, story, I'm sorry, live storytelling shows, but also podcasts, and Risk is one of my favorites, or The Moth. There are many others um, that, that, that take real stories about our vulnerabilities, our struggles, things that we just don't know other people are going through and and make them available to our own memory banks. Now we we've taken in that person's life. We've taken in a piece of their soul and therefore we may understand other people that we see and know in ways that we might not. And I sometimes read the comments on the Risk podcast or other podcasts that are my favorites that I listen to and people will say I I understand, for example, people of color that and their struggle in a way that I never did before because of the story I just heard on this podcast. Um, I understand the struggle of or, uh, of a transgender person because of the inside story of this person's struggle that I just heard in this show. That's what I strive to do in our storytelling show, and I know that that's what storytelling as a whole, as a as an art form, can and does do. It's something we can do to impact people's consciousness because we don't know what other people are going through. But by hearing stories from regular people, professional storytellers opening up, you know, walking on the stage on all flaws, as we, as Spalding Gray said, people can say, wow, I could be sitting next to the subway and the person that, that is behaving badly, maybe that's their tale and I don't know it. And it is an empathy-producing form. That is there's real science behind that, that stories that are well-structured, that involve emotion, riveting emotion, a narrative arc, and imagery that engages the sensory cortex of the brain actually um, has an empathy-inducing effect. So that makes people more willing to give and more, and more willing to remember other people's struggles. It really does open up our understanding of each other. Um, the more we hear each other's stories, uh, I agree. I really do. And podcast, as you say, is a great form for that. Um, I'm curious about what you think about how technology, other than that, I mean, I'm thinking more about things like social media, where now everybody is sort of telling everything to everybody, and it's sort of glossy and not always very authentic. What's been the impact of that in terms of us really um, telling and listening to true stories? Well, because there is so much, there is, you know, this culture of, of oversharing, you might say, um, <laughs> that um, I don't know if, you know, so many people may be sharing stuff about their lives but not reflecting on it in a very um, mm. profound way. 
So we can maybe get a lot of detail but not a lot of meaning because there mm-hmm. does take some thought and emotional commitment to sharing that kind of way. Um, I actually think that in this culture of um, immediacy and at the same time this hyperconnectivity that may or may not run very deep, that that produces a need for the authentic style of storytelling. And I actually believe this, and this isn't something that I could verify with science, but the reason that, the, that all of these storytelling shows and podcasts have popped up as, in, as, as probably the fastest-growing entertainment form is storytelling. It's everywhere. In New York City, storytelling shows are around the block. Like you can't, there are standing room only. I have told stories where I, um, I was in the lineup and I couldn't get a seat because there were so many people there, and they're willing to stand and listen to people just share a little piece of their soul. And I, and I think it's because our culture does gloss over so many things, but we're hungry for that kind of meaning, and we're hungry for that kind of connection that you can really only get through this kind of um, personal but at the same time universal sharing. And if, if people tell their story and elevate it to, the, to an art, it's going to land on people and they're going to remember it and they're going to want to hear more of it. But um, it's true. Like I, I have a real, I don't know if I should talk about specific um, on TV television personalities, but there are shows <laughs> that do fake therapy and they drive me crazy because um, it takes... <laughs> You know, it, real therapy happens in privacy and with confidentiality, and storytelling is is really not therapy. It really shouldn't be. It should be that by the time somebody tells a story to other people, they've done some healing about it or the actual framing of the story has helped them to create healing for themselves. Um, but there's a lot of this of sort of pop culture oversharing or sharing of stuff that is big and emotional but maybe not um, transformational. So there's a big difference, and I think when you listen, when people listen to stories that have been that someone's actually taken the effort to craft and to work on, um, you can tell you can tell the difference, and I think that's important. Um, um, I think that's why it's so popular, though. We need it. We're hungry for it. I, I think that's a great analysis, and I think you're absolutely right that um, because everything is sort of so fast and glossy, um, and I loved how you said, you know, true storytelling, the listener takes away a piece of that person's soul, um, and I, I think you're right that we are hungry for that genuine kind of connection with other people. Um, you know, the social media posts don't necessarily uh, answer answer to that. I am curious, uh, you know, I, and I, it was a question that had popped up into my mind as I was thinking about this show in your experience, because you have a lot of experience with uh, both the telling of and listening to stories. Are there gender differences in terms of how people tell stories or receive them or listen to them? That question, that's an interesting question. This would just be, this is, I, I don't know any science uh, on this. Um, I, do you think that in coaching people, for example, women, um, maybe because women are more connected to their own emotional brain, not that mm-hmm. there's such a thing as an but the, but uh, more, are more connected to the emotional details of our lives, and men's brains are a little bit different, and so they're uh, attuned to possibly to facts 
and data, whether that's whether that's those facts and data are true or not, can be subject to bias. But um, that that um, women are are more likely to give up the emotional aspects of stories, where men might want to connect the dots factually, and and will need more coaching to enrich that with details and to talk about their own transformation. But when it comes to the um, we everybody has that's a struggle for on either side of it. But that's I, I don't really know that I could speak to that um, gender um, specifically because I've worked with and listened to many men that are very willing to share all the the richness of their struggle, and at the same time, lots of women that wanted to connect the dots and didn't want to share. <laughs> didn't want to get into the emotions that you needed to really hang those details together for a narrative um, uh, satisfying journey, you know, for a listener. Um, so I don't know that I, that I have an answer for that. I think it really has to do with a person's willingness to be vulnerable mm. in general. It, 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 in terms of um, listening, it, that might be um, whether a person is genuinely interested in the vulnerabilities of other people and that storytelling can probably open you up to that. Um, but the, as a storyteller, it really has more to do with a person's willingness to be flawed and struggling um, at the same time, be, be the hero of their own journey, if you will. Yeah, that, that makes good sense to me. And perhaps uh, what it really is, is that our society is not always so good at um, giving the message to men that it's okay to be that vulnerable um, in that way. And so it's maybe a bit more of a, a social construct. I, we, we've, we've mentioned a few times this show of yours. I'm wondering if you can tell listeners a little bit more, what is this and what, what is your, your purpose of, of this show that you have built well, I am a storytelling geek, and so I was. I, I spent a lot of time in New York City, um, going to shows, uh, developing stories with people that are going to be on shows. Because as a therapist and a performer, I had that skill set. And I live on Long Island, which is not that far out of New York City. However, when it comes to this art form, we had nothing. We just didn't have any shows that were rooted here and. Also, the big shows that travel around weren't coming here. So I tried to get uh, the moths to come out here, and it, we couldn't afford it and didn't work out. I ended up saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. So I <laughs> it created a storytelling show that would be local to my suburban world of people that weren't going into the city. So I wanted to bring a little bit of that world out here. And in order to engage people in it, I, I created a show that has a game in it where, uh, because I wasn't sure if people would really be interested in the storytelling thing or understand it until they came to it and attended it and saw the power of it or the fun of it, because it's also hilarious as well as power-packed often with emotion. And so I created, um, well, there's the, here's, here's how the name of the show got started, and it does relate to this whole idea of, of truth-telling and stories. You know, the writer Neil Gaiman, uh, he's a science fiction writer. I came across this quote that I always loved where he said, stories may be lies, but they are good lies that say true things and can sometimes pay the rent. So he's talking about <laughs> fiction in that, in that, in that uh, quote. However, the true things really stood out to me. So I created a show called Mostly True Things, which is stories that are true, 
because I wanted to have an event in which just regular people or people from all walks of life, including people who tell stories for a living, if we found those people out here, could stand up and tell a 10-minute story that would engage people and take them on a journey of some kind, um, but to make a game of it that I thought would help people really get um, the act of listening, really, really engage them in listening. So three of the stories in our show have little white lies peppered into them. There's nothing that changes the true uh, heart of the story or the narrative of it in general. It could be something like I was driving uh, across the state of Pennsylvania on Highway 492, and there is no Highway 492 in Pennsylvania, and everything else in the story is entirely true. And sometimes people will really pick up on that one thing and know that 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 one thing wasn't true, but it doesn't make the storyteller into a liar you know, overall. And because I wanted, I really wanted an opportunity for us to tell true stories. And then it's a game. The audience gets to interview the story, the storytellers and try to break down um, what the uh, lies might have been. And they pick the person that didn't change anything. And if they choose the correct person, they get a tote bag that says, my superpower is discernment because they really were listening. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it's a game. And I, after people got turned on to the show and really started to develop an audience, I thought, well, no, we can just do a straight storytelling show and we don't have to put the game in there. Oh, no, they love the game. I can't take the game out. So we've got the game and the stories, and they're hearing, and then they correct the lies at the end. And just to be uh, quickly, one storyteller actually told a story that involved Canada, and I'll just tell you this really quickly because it was so amazing to me how people are really listening. Um, this guy told a story about about his, his big want was to run the New York Marathon, and he trained for it, and it was his big moment. The 2012, he's in, he gets in and he trains for it, and the two days before the New York Marathon, it gets canceled because of Hurricane Sandy, and New York still didn't even have power. And he and his wife lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time, and they – they went on the Internet, and they, they said, we're running a marathon this Sunday. We're getting a marathon. And, this, and they found a marathon in Hamilton, Ontario, has this big, famous <laughs> marathon. And they drove there because they were determined to run a marathon. And the story had a lot more to it than that one um, marathon. But his whole story was true about his quest to run the New York Marathon. And the lie was, so I get in my car, and I drive to Hamilton, Quebec. And out of this group of 100 people or so listening, there was someone from Canada, and that guy knew that, that Hamilton is in Ontario, and he busted that storyteller. Well, what are the odds that somebody in the storytelling audience would be from Canada who's on Long Island? That was amazing to me. But uh, you never know who's listening and who's going to bust the storyteller, but it was really fun that there was somebody who could say, nope, um, Hamilton is is a small town, but it's not in Quebec. So that's my show is about uh, that game and about bringing true stories to an audience of people that did not know uh, that they were going to like it because they didn't even know what it was. And now we do stories in three locations, including New York City, and we do a teen version of the show that I coach in high schools, and teens come up and tell their stories. So it's really, in the two years I've been doing it, it's grown so tremendously. 
What a great marriage of sort of entertainment, meaning, and connection. And Jude, I have to tell you, I'm laughing my head off here because you will not believe this. This really is a true story. I was born in Hamilton, Ontario. Stop it! (laughs) Oh my gosh! That's amazing. That just popped into my head right when I was, that that was just Isn't that funny? (laughs) See, synchronicity, baby. There you go. So listen, Jude, if someone wanted to learn more about um, about your show or about your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I have multiple um, online outlets, which I am very happy to share. The um, The storytelling outlet I would that's easy to find is MostlyTrueThings.com. That's all one word, MostlyTrueThings.com. That shares current information about this show and where it will be happening in New York or around the country about our storytellers. It has videos of shows that we've done, 10-minute stories. I have a website called lifestage.org that um, has information about workshops I'm doing, shows I might be performing in or presentations that I'm doing around the country. I have a blog on which I write articles and share handouts from workshops that I do training people on this topic and on improvisation, and that is livesinprogress.net. I also blog from medium.com, so if people put my name in in, on medium, my stories will come up, and I do have some long-form journalistic-style articles about storytelling and the, and the, the, the style, the technology, I'm sorry, the structure of storytelling and the science behind it. So I'm out there, and also if you go to Vimeo.com and put Jude Treaderwolf in in the search, there are lots of videos from my shows and some video of my storytelling show that I did at the Fringe Festivals, my solo show, Crazy Town. So um, there's lots of things online, and those three websites have very different functions. One just has pure writing, and that's my blog. Mostly True Things is all about the show, and LifeStage.org is all about the work, the Um, my training and presenting. Great. I'm going to make sure that we include those links in the notes for this show. And listeners, I do encourage you, I I did watch some of those videos that you're talking about, listeners. I encourage you to go out and and, uh, check some of those out as you're cuddled up today. Uh, There's some wonderful, wonderful storytelling that speaks to everybody. Jude, I cannot thank you enough. I feel like we could talk all day. Uh, Perhaps you will come back on sometime in the future. Uh, It's been such a great, great time uh, talking about this topic with you. Uh, we all have stories and how neat to hear how they can be transformative both for us as well as for those who hear them. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And what wonderful questions you ask. It really helped me to share what I wanted to say. And as if you couldn't tell, I am deeply passionate about this topic. So it was an absolute <laughs> honor and privilege to talk to you all this time. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. What a pleasure. You have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks, Maya. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Jude Trader Wolf. Next week, we will be here on Morning Moments, ready to share a little holiday spirit. Until then, here's wishing you a gentle easing into winter this week. Winter solstice is coming up in a few days. And I know for those of us up here in the north, that represents uh, the beginning of a bit of a more challenging time of year with the frigid cold and digging our cars out and shoveling snow. 
But it's also the time where the days begin to get a little bit longer. And, well, what better excuse to cozy up to a fire, warm up some hot buttered rum. Yes, that is a real thing. And trust me, it will warm you up. And to snuggle up to those we love. Those are the stories of our lives. Or as Philip Pullman would have said, after nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. This is Maya, and I am out. Sunday morning Still got my day job But I feel so free Baby, I go anywhere As long as you'll be there It's just you and me You shine so bright You help me see Your eyes But I feel so free